Hello and welcome to In A Good Place, the well-being and personal development podcast from Hello, hosted by me, Rosie Nixon. It's great to have you here. In each episode, I'll be chatting to an inspirational personality. And for this, our second season, I'm also going to talk to our guests about key moments when their lives moved into a new chapter. I'm calling this a reset, and it's a topic that gets me really excited. Since we launched this podcast, I've been on my own reset journey. I've refashioned my working life, going from editor-in-chief to the role of creative brand ambassador at Hello, allowing myself more time for my family and for my other passion, writing books. It has given me a new lease of life. So I thought this would be a really interesting area to dive into with my guests. So I've asked them to come to the recording with two reset moments for us to discuss as part of the chat. At the end of each conversation, there will be some takeaways and I guarantee you will feel one step closer to creating the life you want to wake up to. Here at Hello, we love smashing a taboo and especially when it comes to giving airtime to women's health issues. Did you know that one in three women will experience some form of bladder weakness in their lifetime? It's an especially common experience for new mums and 30% of women are using the wrong products to help manage these issues. It's important to always seek medical advice, but in the meantime, the Tenor Discreet Ultra Pads range are specifically designed for bladder weakness, keeping you dry and odour-free for up to 12 hours. So as a busy mum, you can go about your everyday life in confidence. Thank you, Tenor, for being a part of our mission to support others in vulnerable moments. My guest today was the first female winner of Big Brother after winning the third series back in 2002, aged just 21. How can it have been that long ago? Since then, Kate Lawler has become known as a TV and radio presenter, a superstar DJ, a podcaster and author of the book Maybe Baby, spawned from her hit podcast of the same name with her husband Martin, aka Bodge, (laughs) aka The Handsome where they discussed whether or not to have a baby. At the time, Kate was very happy being a dog mum to their terriers, Shirley and Baxter, and living the child-free life. Well, when she was 40, Kate decided that it was time to procreate, and the couple shared their pregnancy news on the pages of Hello. They have a daughter, Noah, who is now two. Kate has always been extremely honest about navigating her personal life, both before and after becoming a mum, so I I know that we're going to get straight into the nitty gritty today. So welcome to the podcast, Kate. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Well, my first question to everybody is, are you in a good place? And I know with you that you're not going to mince your words and tell me, tell me like it is. Oh, am I in a good place? It's a roller coaster, isn't it? This life Mm. we live. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I am in a good place. I think considering the place I was in, this time two years ago, yeah. in a very good place. If you if you rewind to what are we July, twenty twenty one, Noah was a few months old. Mm-hmm. I was deep in the dark depths of postnatal depression, and thinking that I was never going to be happy again. Despite the fact I loved her deeply, mm-hmm. um, Bodge and I were not in a good place either. But yeah, so everything's turned around now. Everyone promised me it would get easier. There'd be mm-hmm. new challenges along the way. You know, it's it's harder in some ways now. It's easier in some ways now. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely happier. I've just recently had a huge 
spout of uh, like health anxiety. And I, I genuinely think it's because I'm a mum. We're just kind of surrounded by devastating news all the time, especially with social media about, you know, people getting cancer and stuff. And I think having been diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder last year, it explains why my health anxiety is an all-time high. You know, I'm 43 now. We're at that age where things happen. And so, yeah, the anxiety has got to me so much that I'm, I've had to go back on my meds recently, which is fine. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm on them. I'm not sure how much they're working for me. It's kind of like a love-hate relationship with them. I think part of it with me is the placebo effect of taking one, thinking I'm feeling better already. But then a few weeks down the line, the anxiety starts to, to appear again. And so I'm not sure if I'll stay on them or not. But Apart from my health anxiety, I'm really good. So thank you for asking. I hope you are too, Rosie. <laughs> oh, Kate, honestly, there is so much there to unpack and talk no, no. about. And I think you are so incredible for being so honest because it, it is the kind of question that sometimes it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm fine, you know, everything's good. But actually, is it ever with any of us? I know. Well, you know what? I could have just said I'm okay. Which, that's what we do, don't we? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? When really we're having a nervous breakdown inside. Mm -hmm. um, so I've just got to be honest with how I'm feeling, you know. I'm I'm in a good place. It's like, this is the problem with anxiety as well, is that it can just happen to anyone. Like, when you think about, like, where I am in my life now with my career and how, like, Noah is just the most amazing little girl and Bodge and I have gone through therapy together, couples therapy. We're in a really good place now. I'm working lots, I'm really busy, I'm earning money, my dogs are great, I'm in a house that I love, we've just had our bathrooms done. <laughs> there is no reason on paper for me to feel anxious or sad, but I think it's the health anxiety and the anxiety that then makes me sad because I mm. hate feeling anxious. So that kind of anxiety-depression cycle rears its ugly head every now and then. But um, I just try not to listen to that little voice inside my head. I really mm. do try, and there's loads of coping mechanisms I have, but, you know... Right now, I'm 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 back on the meds and it's it's fine, but I don't I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know if they're working for me or not. Mm. Who knows? Well, it, I think it is okay, isn't it, to be grateful for what you've got, but to still go through difficult times mm. and to share those. Yeah, and I am grateful every day. I practice gratitude. I think I've said this before. I always do it in the shower when mm. I'm showering. <laughs> I'll stand there and I'll be just like. What are those things called? I've never known the name for them. You know, they're like the net little scrubber things that you wash. Like everyone's got a name from it. What, you know? Like a loofah thing. Are they called loofahs? I thought Is a loofah was like a, a loofah's long... loofah's more like a long, a spongy yeah. thing. Oh, what, the stone one? I like a pumice. Yeah, like a... No, I don't even think it's a pumice. <laughs> it? But anyway, no, when I'm showering, yeah. I always... Or if I'm, if I'm walking my dogs, I literally list... 10 different things every day that I'm grateful for, whether it is literally the legs that I'm able to walk my dogs with, the dogs that I have in my life, whether it's breathing clean, fresh air, whether it's living in a country that isn't in the middle of a war, mm. you know, like even just having hands that I can literally snuggle my dogs with. I don't know, it's silly things like that, all yeah. serious things. But I think it's incredibly important to practice gratitude and I love doing that. But still at the same time, you can have those dark feelings as well. Mm. But I, what, overall, I'm in a good place. Yeah. And why, why, though, is it important? Because you are somebody who I admire so much. And I love, you know, your Instagram account and writing the book and the podcast. You know, you've always been able to put your personal life sort of into the spotlight. And why is it important to talk about those tough times? I guess it's because 
with social media being so huge and such a, a big part of our lives now, it's pretty dangerous, I think, if you are in the public eye, mm. to not be honest with the people that follow you, with your online community, with the friendships that you've made on Instagram, TikTok, or whatever social media platform you prefer. I think what happens is that we all use our grid as a kind of highlights reel of the best bits. But the problem with doing that is that then, and it's up to you what you post, is that everyday people who follow you will look at you saying, how are you smashing it? I even did this when, I'd, mm. when I know I was a few months old. There was There's a celebrity, a very well-known celebrity who I know and I speak to occasionally and she's lovely. But I said to her, how are you coping? Like, you're always doing X, Y, Z, but you've got two kids. Like, how do you... And it made me feel so much better because she said, I've got full-time nanny. And I didn't know that. And then I felt a huge sigh of relief because I was like, ah, okay, you've got help. So it doesn't make me feel like such a loser and a bad mum mm. for, like, struggling with just one child. But then I kind of think, well, I know that. And it's made me feel better. But other people with kids might not know that and might just think, why are you smashing it? And why can't I just even find the time to brush my teeth before 5pm? So yeah. I just felt, with me, I've always been a very honest and open person. I'm like, I, I really do. I'm an oversharer. Perhaps that can be a good or bad thing. But I overshare everything. And I actually quite like that. I do find it a little bit like free, free therapy. I tell everybody everything that's going on and I feel like I'm just unloading it, whether <laughs> they want to hear it or not. And so I actually thought when I was pregnant that I would be sharing my life as a new mum on Instagram with like loads of positivity and loads of gorgeous like videos of me breastfeeding Noah on, you know, or in the park, like throwing her up in the air and be like, no, I wouldn't throw up a baby up in the air. But, you know, just like really joyous moments. And then in the end, I, I just had no idea that actually the path would take me down the route of actually I'm going to share just how shit it can be. Mm. And I, I, to this day, even yesterday, I was down in Bournemouth and a lady came up to me on the beach and said, excuse me, I just want to say, I love how honest you are. We really appreciated how honest you were when you had your little girl because it really helped my daughter. And I've had like, uh, you know, grown men. I just want to say my daughter read your book and it saved her when she was a new mum. Wow. Like for me to be able to just help even two people by being honest about the reality of motherhood and what mm. it can be like, not necessarily what it is like, but what it can be like for us new mums and dads and carers. It's just, it's. I'm so pleased that I was honest and I wasn't just trying yeah. to hide the postnatal depression and the dark days because what what happened, like what about all the parents before social media? Like who who did they turn to when... Nobody was saying it's okay, actually, if you're finding this really bad and you're not enjoying it as much as you should be, despite the fact you love your child. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're very right. It's very easy often to point the finger at social media and look at all the negatives around it, you know, but actually it does provide that support network and that community yeah. that you need in the middle of the night when you feel like you're the only person on the planet that is coping with an insomniac baby or one that won't feed so properly. True. And it can be such a lonely time of life. Yeah, I had a wide awake club. Uh, that was what I used to call it. If I was, if you were in the wide awake club, you were awake in the middle of the night. And it was often mums, you know, because the feeding does more or less fall, fall on yeah. us. And I would just be on stories. I'd be asking questions and answers. I'd be trying to make them laugh because my boobs weren't working. And mm. it was just sometimes Noah would just vomited all over me. I remember once I had like snot dribbling down my <laughs> nose and I really wanted to sniff. But when I did it before, it woke her up and she'd just fallen asleep. Oh, so I just had no. to let, I had to let it fall down me. And I did this Q&A like, what lengths have you gone to not to wake your baby? And people were saying the funniest <laughs> so thing. True. Like literally someone said she peed into her daughter's nappy 
Oh, so, my God. She, had, she was holding her daughter while she was asleep and she didn't want to have to put her down to go to the toilet, so she just weighed oh, herself. God. Yeah, why not? It, it's an easier option sometimes than waking that baby. But, but you're so right. It's almost like the given, we know how wonderful it is and we know that we wouldn't give our baby back, you know, if we were given that opportunity. But it's the sheer overwhelm of a multitude of situations of Massive. not only what's going on with the baby, but what's going, your body feels totally out of control. Your relationship yeah. is different, you know, yeah. it's changed sort of beyond belief. You've lost your identity, perhaps, as a working person. And, you know, and it's no wonder that Mm. we struggle and sometimes things get very dark. Yeah, I don't think there's enough support for new new parents at all. Mm. I think when the baby's born, it's all about the baby. How's the baby doing? Is the baby okay? Is the baby... But there's not really enough support, especially for mothers, Mm. because, like, partners don't get enough maternity-paternity. And... I, I just think that there isn't enough. Like my health, is it health visitor who comes around afterwards to check on yeah. you? She just, she did not. She told me I had the baby blues, and I just knew it was more, it was more serious than that. And I didn't feel like I should still have the baby blues at like eight weeks in. And she didn't spot the signs. It was only when when I went to my GP and Noah was having her first round of vaccinations that she said, are you okay because you don't look it? And I broke down and she said, I I think we need to just keep an eye on you. And if you feel like this next week, come back to me and talk to me. Mm. You know, so there just needs to be more support, I think, and help. I know the NHS is on its knees and they're already doing so much, but for new parents and new mothers especially. And that's why I think this, like having an online community and that's where social media is you know, brilliant in some ways, but to to be able to support new parents and just be honest about it. I was getting a lot of criticism if ever any of my posts about the reality of being a new mum hit the Daily Mail, for example, or whatever, where people who didn't know me were saying, well, she's she's an ungrateful bitch. What an ungrateful mum. She's a terrible mum. She's lucky she can even have a child. I, and I was like, I'm not going to stop posting about my experience because I know if I'm feeling like this, then other yeah. people would be. You mm-hmm. know, one of my best friends who I didn't even know she'd gone through something similar, she only opened up to me after I was honest on social media. And she said, I went through the same thing as you. And I said, you never told any of us. She said, because all of our friends in our group were smashing life as mums and I just mm. didn't I didn't feel like I I had it in me to be honest and I felt bad for like complaining and that's yeah. really upset me I was like you should have been able to this is such a taboo still to tell anyone that there you is. are struggling or that you don't you know that you might not be bonding with your baby which is perfectly normal or you're not enjoying this especially if you've had a difficult fertility journey can you imagine how that feels and you've wanted a baby for five or ten years and then you finally get this precious little bundle but then you're struggling imagine the guilt I've spoken to parents who also feel immense amount of guilt for feeling like they're not enjoying it when all Mm. they've ever wanted is this or it's not how you expected it to be because how mm. could you ever fully sort of understand what it's going to be like until it happens to you yeah, and you, you go can't. down that path. And I know that you also had a lot of sort of sickness with Noah, didn't you, in the early days? She was in and out of intensive care a bit sort of yeah. early on. Yeah, I think that probably, well, when I had therapy, she said, you know, you didn't just experience a regular you know, birth and go home. Think about all the times you were in and out of hospital. Mm. She was born and it was the most magical birth that I was awake for and it was a planned abdominal birth and it was beautiful and I she started feeding off me straight away and I thought everything was great and we were going to go home later that day. But then they realised that she wasn't breathing properly so she was rushed to intensive care. Then we spent the next four days in hospital. I, I wasn't with my baby. I couldn't see her. I couldn't get mm. out of bed because until the catheter was out. There was loads of reasons why... 
that I struggled in the first six weeks. And, you know, eventually when we got home, we were back in A&E within 48 hours because she spiked a temperature of 40. And then there was another incident where they thought she might have meningitis. So there was a lumbar puncture, which we couldn't... It was just in and out, in and out, in and out. Mm -hmm. And so it was a hard start, I think. And that probably affected, you know, the initial kind of baby blues a bit as well. And we were kind of in crisis mode mm. throughout that time. There isn't a moment probably to stop and think, what about me? How am I yeah. coping with this? So what happened following the GP asking you if you were all right and, and really kind of suggesting that you probably weren't and you broke down? What was the next step towards trying to get some help? I did another week and I wasn't any better. So my husband said to me, I think we need to like, get you back to the doctors and I think we need some therapy for you. Like you need to speak to somebody who isn't me, who isn't my mum, who isn't your mum. Mm. So I started having therapy and I went back to the GP and they put me on a low dose of citalopram. And both the therapy and the citalopram and we hired a doula, um, which is also known as a night nanny, who would come in at nine o'clock and stay till seven the next day. We were supposed to like say hi and bye at 9pm but we'd still be up at 11pm chatting to her and she'd be giving us loads of advice which was invaluable it was like have, oh my gosh it was like having a walking talking google she was brilliant she she was telling us how to you know put Noah down in her Moses basket without you know her crying and how to position her and little tips and tricks every day that we didn't even think about so I was getting up in the night to express while she fed her or I'd get up in the night and feed Noah but ultimately she was there to support us and so we could get a bit more sleep mm -hmm. and that helped as well so it was a combination of things my husband I've never known anything like it the support he gave me at that point he took off more time from work and stayed at home with me and it was just yeah it really did take a village like they say yeah that's amazing that you were able to get to that point of asking for help mm -hmm. and help being available to you what advice would you give to somebody with whom this might be resonating who feels sort of in the darkest of those days the hardest thing is asking somebody for help because Here's the thing. The health visitor came over and said, oh, you look sad. And I was crying. And she'd say, I think you've got the baby blues. But I didn't have I didn't have the confidence and the courage to say to her, I think I might have postnatal depression. I've been reading up on the symptoms. So I couldn't say it to her. I couldn't even tell my parents or my family, even though they could see that I was clearly unhappy. And this is how much of a taboo it is. They didn't even say, like, they couldn't say out loud, do you think you might have PND? My husband knew but it took me going to a GP and the GP saying to me, I think you might have it for me to say, yeah, I think I might have it too. Mm. So it's it's hard advice to give because I probably wouldn't have done it. And that's yeah. the sad thing. Like, go to your GP. You don't even have to say, I am I think I might have postnatal depression. Just say, this This is how I'm feeling. And, the, and is, that is the hardest thing to do is, is opening up. Maybe you might be best opening up to somebody that you're super close with. You might be best opening up to a friend or a relative or a GP, but whoever you feel like, you can just say, I know I'm not okay. And if I'm having intrusive and dark and worrying thoughts that scare you, you mm. have to seek help mm -hmm. because the suicide rate among new mums is is higher than you probably think. And if you don't get help, then you're not going to get better. And I'm living proof that if you get help soon that you can recover. 
Yeah, yeah, you really are. Thank goodness you got that help when you needed mm. it. Yeah. And also that asking people how they are, how they really are, mm-hmm. you know, and not just taking that brush off, yeah, I'm fine and, you know, everything should be all right because I've got this beautiful new baby, you know, to really ask again and really listen to that response. Because yeah. if that GP hadn't looked you in the eye probably and said, you know, how are I know, you really? I know, great. Yeah, it takes one person, doesn't it, to open that door yeah. to making help possible. My my only, like, I, I just feel, do you know what it is? Whenever somebody has a baby, like when they've just given birth, I'm on, like, high alert. I'm like, okay, they're going to go through what I've gone through. And I wish I didn't think like that, but mm. every every new mum in the last year who I've spoken to, and I'm like, are you okay? Are you doing all right? Are you really okay? And they're saying they are. I'm like, phew. But I'm fully, I don't know whether it's a kind of bit of, I don't know, what you well, knowing it? what you've been through, I just feel like know, a sixth yeah. sense that yeah. yeah. So I'm 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 always looking out for the new mums and just saying, are you are you okay? Are you really okay? Just make sure you tell me if you're not, because we can sort yeah. it out if you're not. You've just taken me right back as well. I remember when I had my um, firstborn and he was about a month old, I invited all the family over for a big Easter lunch at our flat. We were living in Clapham at the time. Yeah. And my husband had made this meal and everything. I'd had a horrific night of feeding and I was still kind of recovering from C-section emergency when I had quite a traumatic first birth. Feeding was like painful as well. I had these rock hard boobs. I remember that just were freaking me out. It felt really (laughs) odd, like they weren't even part of my body and had everybody there for this Sunday lunch and just felt I can't I cannot do it I just couldn't stop crying couldn't go into the room was literally like a prisoner in the bedroom thinking I can't see everyone because I should be really happy this is my long for baby meeting the whole family and I'm just a mess and I and I remember to get from my bedroom where I was in I'd have to go through the room that everybody was sat in so I was like I just can't you know what did you do I was in the bedroom for ages and then finally sort of one by one though I mean it was my mum and my sister and lovely family who care a lot about me yeah. But I guess I wanted the image of them coming over to see me with the baby on Easter Sunday to all be perfect, you know, and it just wasn't as I had imagined. And I felt like such a failure. Yeah, I can totally relate because you do because and I think social media plays a big part in that because you look at the new pictures of mums with their babies and they're always everyone's just looking so lovely and then family come over and they're all holding them. But actually, in reality, that's just a smile for a picture. But yes. you, I look back at pictures of my family coming over and I there's you know me holding Noah and I like I can tell that I'm that's when I was at my lowest point but then the photos just tell such a different yeah, story you're don't so they right which is why we need to remember that you know it really Instagram it is a highlights reel and have you seen the funny the meme with Andy you know Andy Sandberg who does like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the Lonely Island he's really funny he's an American comedian there's like a video of him he's either on Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon and he talks about how when he was told his friends that he was having a baby his wife was having a baby they were like it's the best thing you'll ever do it's the greatest thing you'll ever do and then when they had a baby they were like welcome to the dark side and they <laughs> and they and then he was like what and they were like and he was like why didn't you tell me that because you what they we wanted you to join us because it's shit and it's <laughs> oh, like God. what and he's like that is and hilarious 
But I'm like, it's hard to set, tell someone when they're pregnant and they are over the moon with I joy know. to say, welcome. I always say, congratulations and welcome to hell, mm. which is a kind of like, because, <laughs> because congratulations, it's great, but also welcome to hell because yeah. it's really hard. And, but so, you wouldn't change it for the world. That's the no. whole confusing thing. But I remember thinking, I'm so surprised there are not more abandoned babies. <laughs> I remember thinking, I'm really shocked I know. that so many people continue with this. I still, I'm still shocked. I still can't, I cannot understand. Like, and I think it's great when people have multiple children, but when my friends say I'm going again, I'm just like, what? How are you even, how, my friend's got three. I'm like, how are you even alive? How are you coping with three? My other mate yeah. wants to go for a fourth. She's getting married next year and she's like, after wow. the wedding, we're going to go again. I can barely cope with one and two dogs. I feel like I have yeah. three children. To be well, you have got three with two dogs. They, they are high needs. I mean, this yeah. morning I was at the vet with Baxter. Then Shirley attacked a dog in the butt. I had to deal with shirt. Like, she's like the, the crazy, like, if she was a human, she'd probably be like the teenager that's developed a drug addiction and runs away from home and marries a pimp or something like yeah. that out of a film. <laughs> Baxter's just the old, like, he's, like, falling apart. He's losing his hearing. He's got oh. osteoarthritis. And then I've got nowhere to deal with. It's like, it's like having three children, which is probably why I know that I'm not going to do it again. Um, but some people's experiences, don't you think, are so different to others? I mean, I have got clearly. friends that seem to just, you know, babies come out and they just sort of seem to do it really yeah. easily. And they're just kind of made to yeah. be mamas. And others, I felt like I found it really hard. But yeah. my between my two babies, I've got two boys 18 months apart. One was a lot trickier in lots of ways than the yeah. other. It was just, you know, you never that's get how it same. went. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a different experience. Yeah, you never get to the same. Everyone always says that, don't you? Which is probably why I don't want to go again because Noah is an angel. So we know we'd get the devil reincarnated yeah. if we did it again. And we were like, why did we do this? But I'm I'm so in awe and in admiration for anyone who has one, but like multiples. Mm. I said last night to Bodge because Noah was a bit tricky at bath and bed. She's taking ages to do things mm. now. Like it takes ages for her to even just get off the bed and go to the bathroom, brush yeah. her teeth. And I said, can you imagine doing this with twins? Imagine two of them trying. <laughs> imagine doing with twins and then another little one that's like, how do people, how are people coping? I am in awe of people who do it again. Like I'm a wimp. I've done it once and I'm like, no, thank you. Those doors are firmly shut. <laughs> but I do find it funny though, when one's playing up, I find the other one then has is all goody goody two shoes and kind oh, of really? yeah oh, and tries to something. impress you, you know, and be like, oh look at me, I wouldn't do that. Brilliant. You know, <laughs> here I am being so good. But you sound absolutely two hundred percent resolute then on sticking with one. Yeah, I guess if I was younger, I may have considered it, but I I just know that I'm just I'm forty three. I can't do it again. And also, it's just. We're just really lucky to have one and she's mm. good and we feel like it's just it's getting easier and easier and I just, I don't want to go back there, I'm, you know. <laughs> I do get, and that's again, more mum guilt because I feel guilty sometimes that I'm not giving her a brother or sister and I know that she'd be a great sister. But also the chances of me having twins are quite high because I'm a twin and yes. I'm a fraternal twin and the older you get, the more likely you are to have twins. Right. Oh and my I, that gosh. would definitely send me over the edge if I had twins. Then you'd have five then with I'd the dogs. Have, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> I'd have to just quit work and be a full-time about stay-at-home <laughs> mum, wouldn't I? You <laughs> Which would. Which then would be my idea of how, like, I need to, what I need to, to be out of the house working 
as well as doing the whole job of yeah. being a mother because I just, I can't do that. Mm, and that's sort of having these different identities that we have in mm. life, don't we? Because I think one of the reasons I struggled so much at the beginning with my first was that I just didn't know who I was as a mum. Yeah. I knew who I was at work. I had my babies fairly late, in my late 30s and 40. And I was very established as an individual in the workplace, you know. Yeah. And I just didn't know who I was anymore. Yeah, you lose so much of your identity when you have a baby, like in good ways and bad ways, because at the end of the day, you're at home with your baby. And you're, if you're lucky enough to take extended maternity leave, then you get to spend more time. Mm. But then suddenly you'll be like, I haven't had a conversation with an adult since yesterday evening. Like literally all I've done yeah. is I'm just with my baby at home on my own. And it can be a very lonely place. It can. And admitting that you don't often love doing all the baby things. Yeah. I don't know about you, but going to play parks, I'm quite glad that mine are sort of out of that now because I'm fine for like five <laughs> minutes pushing on the swings and, yeah. you know, letting them do the stuff. But then I'm like, okay, we've done everything. It's time to leave now. <laughs> and I then spend the next sort of 30 minutes saying, right, can we go now? Can you just, yeah, let's leave. Open, here, yeah. the gate's open. I'll buy you a treat if we leave. Yeah, good old bribery. Yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Because it's kind of, it's so complex because you want to spend time with your child and then when you do, you're like, oh, actually, I can't wait for them to go to nursery on Monday. <laughs> it was funny because I was at her nursery this morning and they've just told me that um, as of February, she'll be going up to the next group and it's a minimum five mornings a week. And I was so shocked because I like her doing three, I like her, she's in childcare on a Monday, we have a nanny on a Monday and then she's in nursery two, two days a week. And I really like this setup because I get to spend Thursday and Friday with her and we do like, We'll do something on Thursday that's like a museum or we'll go out for the day mm. and see other friends. And then on Friday she has her swimming lesson and my sister comes over and it's fun. And the thought of Noah doing, like me, taking her every morning to nursery for 8.30 and then having to pick her up every day, I was like, whoa, hang on a second. Like, I didn't think the five-day thing would be until she went to school. Yes. And she's going to be doing that from three. And the, the nursery teacher went, you know, you're the only mum that's ever come in and said, I'd like her to do less days. Everyone else is like, yes, go, five days a week. <laughs> and I'm like, surely there are other parents out there that like mm. feel the same, like that want to have their days with their little girl or boy because they're yeah. only three. Like it's so young to be doing five days a week. Mm. So we're considering moving her because I just, I don't want to be held to ransom. I want to have no. the... She's, I'm only doing it once and I want to spend as much time with her before she does eventually go five days a week and until she's like 18 or 21. Well, you've got to follow your instinct on that. I think mm. you. we always know, don't we, really, yeah. what is the right thing to do. And childcare constantly changes anyway. You think yeah. you've got it dialed down, it's all going perfectly, and then it sort of changes again. Needs become different and your availability changes and... Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, the thing is, when as they grow, like I just read that um, Joe Wicks and his wife have like, their kids are like, they're homeschooling their kids so they can travel. And I was thinking to myself, wow, they're actually homeschooling. And as much as I like, I can't, I couldn't homeschool Noah. I need a break. Like she's got to go. And I really do get so much done when she's at nursery, like this podcast I can do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But I just, I just think like when she's at school, that will be my time when I'm like okay now you know yeah. I was in my in my head the plan was to spend as much time with her as I could until she goes to school at five mm. so like just sending her at three is full time like five days yeah. a week I just don't no. know there are plenty me. of other options out there that don't yeah. say that five days a week yeah um, and pretty soon as you say they're not going to be able to join you during the week they have no. to be at school at those times so yeah 
Yeah. Now, let's move on to your reset moments because you've given me two great ones, which I'm sure is going to sort of encourage us to talk on lots of different subjects again. So number one was when you moved to Birmingham in 2007 to take a full-time job in radio. Tell me about that time. I did. So in 2007, I was... So it had been five years since I did Big Brother... I hadn't got any TV work. I had a radio job the year after Big Brother, which I then lost because I kept turning up hungover. That was my own fault. Um, (laughs) But I was in quite a hedonistic period of my life. I was partying lots. I'd learnt to DJ. I was travelling the world DJing. And... But I'd kind of got to a stage where I was thinking to myself, how much longer can I do this for? Can I keep up this party lifestyle for? Mm. Like, I'm just going out loads. I am drinking loads. I'm doing all the fun stuff and going to bed at silly o'clock in the morning. I felt like crap in the week. I'd be very depressed. I would sit in my bed during the week eating crunchy nut cornflakes out of the box dry. <laughs> I was just like, oh Who, what am I doing with my life? And I'd just be downloading songs off Beatport, this website for my next set and just be... But it was quite a lonely existence because all my mates were at work and then I was doing that and then then I'd be like traveling places on my own to DJ and coming back and I was like what am I going to do with my life this is just so not what I had planned and then I did an interview on Kerrang Radio which is a like rock heavy metal station and the guy who interviewed me said hey I've I loved interviewing you if you're ever in Birmingham why don't you come in and co-host my Sunday night show with me so I was like I'm in Birmingham next week I'm literally DJing in Birmingham so I stayed an extra night co-hosted his radio show on the Sunday night with him we loved it together and he said if I ever get the breakfast show you can come and co-host it with me two months later he got given the breakfast show he calls me up he said come and move to Birmingham I've got the breakfast show Wow! and it was one of those sliding doors moments where all my mates were saying no you don't want to go to Birmingham my family no don't go to Birmingham you're from Beckenham you're from London like what you don't know anyone in Birmingham but I saw it as a potential opportunity to kind of say goodbye to DJing and start a new career in radio Mm. and it took it took a lot of hard thinking and a lot of people's advice and you know I really did have to think about what I was going to do and what would make me happiest and it was a risk because I was moving to a city where I didn't know anyone to a job that I didn't know if I'd enjoy early starts you know they were talking getting up at 4 30 every day no maybe 5 30 um but still early starts anyway I did it party so much yeah Yeah. I did it and then I started to, to to like reduce the amount of DJ gigs I took on and for me, that was just such a huge reset moment because I figured out what was important to me and that was having a career, earning money and, you know, being healthy. At that point, I was thinking, I'm t- nearly 28 and I really want to start settling down now. So that's what I did. Mm, that Ladette sort of vibe as well, which was obviously why the nation fell in love with you in Big Brother because you were so sparky and fun and you could give as you good as you got you know and you could keep up with all the guys wasn't it that you did keepy uppies for your big brother audition tape yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I did and the producer the series producer said that's what got you in because it was the um the world cup yeah which we were missing so they were like oh we've got a footy fan let's get her in yeah and you embraced that culture and yeah. this is there still a little bit of that ladette in you Oh, I'd say so, yes. It's never really left me. I don't know, even if I try to, you know, not be a ladette, it's always there. Yeah, in think, what way does it manifest itself now? Well, I just, I, you know, it's women in sport is, 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 not, is completely like, it's like a thing now, you know. But back when, in the early noughties, you know, 
there wasn't such an emphasis on women in sport and I was very sporty. Like I, Mel C was my idol. I wanted to be Sporty Spice. Like I loved football. I loved playing football. I loved watching football. I was a huge Arsenal fan at the time. I'd go to a lot of games and also just like drinking lots with friends mm. and like mostly lads as well. I just kind of felt like I... I had as many male friends as I did female friends and I did feel like one of the lads as much as I felt like one of the girls too. Yeah. And I guess that's how I feel now. Like a lot of my friends still are male. I'm not as into football as I was, but I guess I kind of muck in like one of the lads when like, you know, if... I don't even know. I couldn't even give you an example, really. But I just think it's still there. It's still in me. Yeah. Although maybe we need to rename it. It's not like being one of the lads. It's just your personality. Yeah. Like, I just think it's an old term, isn't it? It is. I don't really like it now because it just reminds me of the days of, like, Zoom. FHM. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like, getting your boobs out on the front of a magazine cover. Yeah. Which I never did. I mean, I think I might have done it, but with my hands over my boobs, which is just as bad. But, um, (laughs) hey, I was skin at the time. I needed the money, Rosie. Don't judge. No, I would never judge. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, no, it was kind of like it's still there. Um, Mm. But I don't even know how. I just, I think I've calmed down a lot. Which is, I guess, why I don't feel like ladder in quite inverted commas now, and mm. that's because I, you know, I don't drink as much as I used to. I'm, I'm more about health now than ever before. I really want to look after my body, especially now I have a child. So, yeah, I've calmed down a lot, and I feel like I'm, I'm less of a mad madhead than I was back then. But I think also <laughs> that that comes from like having a job where you're not going out to a nightclub three times a week and being plowed with alcohol. Do you know what I mean? So Absolutely. I'm so pleased that I took that job in Birmingham and I, I didn't stay DJing. Mm, but upping sticks and moving like that takes bravery. Where do you think that fearless sort of quality comes from? Um, I don't know. I think I've always I've had it in me. Like when I was 21, just before Big Brother, my ex-boyfriend said to me, I'm moving to Japan. Do you want to come with me? And like my sister was like, what? No, don't go. And I saw it as a great opportunity. So I went and, you know, I was living in Japan. I was living in Tokyo with him and I was going to become an English teacher. But then we moved back because of 9-11. His company like lost loads of people and it, mm. it just, we, we got moved back. And that's when I applied for Big Brother because I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. But I always, I don't know where it's come from. I think my dad, I'm very much like my dad. I'm very much a daddy's girl. And I think my dad has always pushed me and pushed me and said, you do it, you go, you take these opportunities. My mum's such a homebody. She didn't want me to go to Tokyo. She's like, no, stay here. And whenever I've moved away and I've come back, oh, you're going to come back to Beckenham? And I'm like, no, I'm going to live I'm going to live this side of London now. She hates it because she wants us all to be near her. But my dad is always the one that's pushed me, I think. And yeah, I, I've had it in me just to take these opportunities, like, you know, moving to Tokyo or doing Big Brother or moving to Birmingham. Mm. And you are a twin. Is your twin sister the same? No, she couldn't be more opposite. She's she's the complete opposite of me. We are nothing alike. Like, she'd never move countries. She loves where she lives and she's never going to move from that area. She's a homebody. She likes her home comfort foods. She doesn't like, you know, we eat different things. She she doesn't Mm. drink alcohol, whereas I do like a glass of wine. We're completely different specimens i don't know how we're twins it's quite interesting wow are you close now 
Yeah, we've always been close. We've always been yeah. the best of friends. And closer probably now than ever before because she is the best auntie ever and she loves Noah. She's got two boys of her own who are 13 and 16. And so it's like, you know, being a new mum all over again for her. And she's just obsessed with Noah. She comes every Friday without fail to see her. Wow. Um, so you live yeah. near to each other? No, she know. lives the other side of London. You know, she's oh. like last week it took her two hours to get home. She just doesn't care. She... She's the best. And she looked after Noah last Friday when I was working. She's like become a bit of a, you know, can you look after Noah for me all day? And she's like, I love nothing more to do that. So she's she's great. She's such a good help, Karen. Yeah. I did love how, though, the other day I saw on your Instagram, you were on the Peppa Pig bus necking the champagne, though. (laughs) (laughs) Was that to get through sort of a whole afternoon of nonstop Peppa Pig music on repeat? Or did you really enjoy it as much as you said you did in your post? Honestly, my friend, her she lives in America and she was back for the weekend and her, her father-in-law bought her tickets and her daughter for the Peppa Pig afternoon tea bus tour. But he bought two adults and two children. He was like, take a friend. So she said, do you want to come? And Noah is the biggest Peppa Pig fan. And I was like, oh, God. This is my idea of hell, but yeah, Noah's <laughs> going to have a good time. And she said, well, he's also ordered us a bottle of rosé. And so I indulged. I mean, it was bought, it was there. It was like rosé prosecco or something. And it was really delicious. And i got to say, the afternoon tea was so nice. You know, on the, it's like, I thought, are there either going to be, it's either going to be really like, the food's going to be crap. But it was mm. like from a really good, like Bridget's Bakery or something. And the scones oh. were warm and the sandwiches were delicious and the cakes were yummy. I'd highly recommend it, even if you're not a fan of Peppa Pig. We saw all the sites, went across Tower Bridge, saw Big Ben, Shakespeare's Globe. It's great. Wow. So yeah. it did work for the adults as well as the little ones. Yeah. We had to sing along the songs. My friend said to me, on, he saw my Instagram stories and he was like, you're actually singing with more enthusiasm than your own two-year-old. And I was like, I know. I know all the songs. What can I say? My daughter's <laughs> a big fan. Oh, now let's move on to your second reset moment, which is leaving radio in 2022 to spend more time with your daughter. Tell me about how that decision came about. Yeah, who'd have thought? I went from not wanting kids Mm. to being on the fence to kind of having one and saying to my boss, I'm leaving radio to have a baby, but I am coming back within three months. Ended up taking nine months maternity because I just could not face leaving her five days a week. Ended up going back after nine months three days a week, I think, or two days a week. I think it was three. And I tried to do the juggle of working and feeling like me, which I did every time I went on the radio. I loved it. And I felt like me again. And you had a drive time show. Yeah. Yeah. Virgin. Yeah. It was a big, it was a big show and I loved doing it and I was really happy to be back. But then because of the time of the show, I was, you know, I had to be in work every day at two, even though I was on air at four, just for prepping. They liked me in at two. And so it meant leaving at one, which meant Noah was already an hour into her like lunchtime nap. So I'd be waking up in the morning, feeding her, getting the dogs out for a walk, bringing her home, giving her lunch, putting her down for a nap and then going to work and then not seeing her till the next day. So mm. I didn't feel like I was spending quality time with her, like I wasn't mm. doing any. And I just, I, I really struggled to do both. And I said to my boss, look, I, I just want to spend some time with my daughter properly. And then when she's at nursery, when she's at school and I'm ready to come back, I will. But he was so understanding. And what's great now is that they asked me to do cover every now and then and I can dip in and out. Next week I'm doing three days cover, which is lovely Mm. to be asked and for me to be able to say yes or no. And I still get to do a bit of radio every now and then when it suits. And I do not regret my decision. But also that, again, was a huge decision because it was saying goodbye to like a, a regular income five days a week 
and that was the sacrifice I had to make, but to spend more time with Noah. And as I mean, I've just, I've had the best year with her. I left in March, it was like over a year ago now. And we've done so much and we've spent so many awesome days together. And I feel like she is the person she is because of how much time we've spent together. Yeah. Like I've, I just feel like, I'm not trying to big myself, well, I am. No, but I'm trying to like, I just want to say that if you want to spend more time with your child and you can, and you can find a way to do it, do it because mm. we're so close. And I feel like we've got such a special bond now because of that time we've spent together. Mm. And, you know, we've spent days like reading and learning and she's, I've just got her two-year report from her nursery. And they're like, she loves to learn, she loves to read. And I think that's because we've just done that so much. And yeah. I don't regret it at all. Did it take a long time to build up to having that conversation with your boss? Oh, yeah, it was horrible. How did you prepare for that? Oh, I kept bottling it and bottling it. And then I was just like, you're going to hate me, but I need to leave. And he didn't. He didn't hate me. He was like, I totally understand. I can see you're struggling. And would it help if we offered you two days a week? And I was like, I just want, I just want to take some time out. And yeah. he's completely understanding, which is great. So... Cheers, Mike Cass, you the man. And yeah, I, I, you know, I know it's not the end. I know I'll go back to radio, especially when she goes to school. I'm not going to know what to do with myself. Mm. Five days a week, 8.30 till 3.30 or whatever the hours are at school. Like I, I, I will need to go back because I feel like, I think then I'll, I'll feel a bit lost mm. without her in my life so much. It's kind of why I'm so passionate about this idea of resetting because it's all about making these little tweaks to our lives at various mm. junctures and seeing those not as a failing or the ending of something really big, but just a little tweak to make it more manageable for the next little chapter, knowing yeah. that nothing is forever. Yeah, and these resets that we make, they are like... Yeah, they are like little tweaks, but sometimes they can actually have such a huge impact mm. on our lives now. Like when you think about if I hadn't have gone to Kerrang and worked, would I like, I don't know where I'd be right now because I wouldn't be in, I wouldn't have been in radio. I wouldn't have, it's just, it's mad to think that that one little decision, well, it's a big decision, but you know, sometimes these decisions we make. Yeah. And you wouldn't have met the handsome. I know. If you didn't work at Kerrang. You've I got to have. tell, for anybody that doesn't know, is there a way of telling this story in a nutshell of your <laughs> meeting? Because it is an absolutely fantastic story. Kerrang, Kerrang Radio has a magazine as well, and he worked for the magazines. I worked for the radio station. I lived in Birmingham. He lived in London. We met on the on like middle of June. I went down to London for the Kerrang Awards. They were like really outrageous hedonistic awards they'd stick a bottle of Jaeger bomb on everyone's table and we'd all get drunk he came over to me made a move I don't really remember it I drank a lot of Jaeger Meisters and I think I remember saying to him do you want to come back to my place and he said yeah and I said it's in Birmingham and he said what and I said yeah it's in Birmingham let's go and he did and the rest is history. And the rest is history. But you couldn't actually remember what happened the night before. No, I Am I right about that? Yes, Rosie. I didn't realise I told you the story I did. Um, yeah, I think we woke up the next morning and I said, hey, what's your name? Oh, yeah. And then it came to me and I was like, Martin. He said, yes. And I was like, what happened last night then? Did we have fun? He was like, we had a lot of fun. And I was like, oh, dear, did we? Well, I better go. No, he said, I better go because I've got work. And I thought it was a Saturday. I was like, oh, do you work on a Saturday? And he went... It's Friday. And then I went, shit, I've got to work too. And he went home and went straight to work in the clothes that he was wearing the day before to a round of applause when he walked in the office because everyone saw him leave with me. 
And you and didn't he th- tell he him thought that you he, couldn't remember. He, no, he was like, yeah, it was a great night. It was totally worth being late for work for. And he never thought you'd hear from me again. He said, I genuinely thought it was a one-night stand. And then the next week I happened to be in London and I messaged him on Facebook because we became Facebook friends. And I said, oh, I'm in London. Do you, um, do you want to meet up? And then I couldn't remember what he looked like and I was going to cancel the date. So to my friends, I think he was hot, but I can't remember. And they were like, go on his Facebook. And I was like, he just, he looks different in all his Facebook pictures. And I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to go. I'm going to meet him. And if it just turns sour, I'll come, I'll just come and hang out with you for the night. And then he walked out of his front door and I was like, gee whiz, he's handsome. And it was just like our first date. It was like, it was like the week before had never happened. Cause I was yeah. just like, you, you look like it, I was sober for one. And I was just like, wow, last week was wild, wasn't it? And he was like, yeah, it was really wild. <laughs> And now we're married. And and on that day, I said to him, just so you know, I've recently come out of a long-term relationship. I don't want to get married ever. And I never want kids. And he was like, calm down. (laughs) I was like, what am I just saying? He was like, yeah, calm down. We're literally on date. We're literally on a date. And I was like, I just think it's important to get it in there and look at him now. He's, he's convinced me to get married and have a baby. And have a baby is such a good story. But, I mean, the two of you did go into having a child with your eyes fully wide open because you did a whole podcast series yeah. about whether or not you should have a baby. And I think we so often hear conversations about people trying to have a baby um, but never really about what if you make that decision not to. Yeah, Well, we were in quite a unique position as well because I didn't want them and he did. And a lot of our friends who were on the fence about trying happened to be in the other way around. Like all my female friends wanted kids and it was their partners who were a little bit unsure or just didn't want them full stop. And also there was quite a taboo. It was quite a taboo back then to not not want kids because, Mm. I mean, I think so much has changed since we did that podcast because, you know, even now, if you say to somebody, I think now people are way more understanding and aware not to just say to somebody, oh, do you want kids? Because actually, it's quite a rude question. You might not even be able to have them and you might already be on a fertility journey that's quite hard and difficult. So n- nowadays, I don't think, I think people are more mindful of asking that question mm. to start with. But also, it's the response you get now, which is, which is this response we should have had years ago. When I used to say, no, I don't want kids. I wish it could have just been as simple as that and we'd change the subject, but it would always be met with a why. Why not? And, you know, if I'd have said to somebody who just told me they were pregnant and I'd mm. said, oh, why though? Why do you want a baby? That would have been met with like, what? <laughs> That's really rude. So, and I still think that there is a little bit of, um, we've still got a little bit of a way to go because I still think maybe older generations now, if someone was to say, oh, do you want kids? And the person was to say no you might still get a bit of why what's like what's wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with not wanting children it's not for everybody and i still believe that you can live a perfectly happy and fulfilled life without children mm-hmm. you genuinely can like i said to a couple the other day like who were on the fence she came up to me after i did like a book reading somewhere and she said i just don't know at the minute and i said don't put pressure on yourself like i know that i would have been perfectly happy without noah i was yeah. perfectly happy without noah you know, my husband really did want to be a dad and he's a great dad and I can see, you know, why he wanted to be a dad now. But back then I was like, we're happy without a kid. Mm. We've got our dogs, we've got our lives and you can live a perfectly happy and fulfilled life without a lot of stress mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't have kids. So, and I I, I shouldn't be criticised for saying that because so many people choose not to have children and that's fine. It's great. Like, good for you and 
don't feel pressure from society yeah. to have a child if you don't want one. Mm. And I think if that's the only reason you feel like you should have one, then you shouldn't. Because yes. you should want to have a child. You should not let anyone pressurise you or force you into believing that that's what you've been put on this planet to do. Yes, we're able to do it, but it doesn't mean it's for everyone. But it was having your, you went to the Lister Clinic, didn't you? And mm. that was sort of a bit of a turning point in then thinking yeah. maybe that decision could be taken away from you. Mm. Tell us well, about that. Well, the podcast primarily was us speaking to people who had done it, who had become parents. And then we also spoke to somebody who had decided not to. And then we decided to go, we thought it'd be quite an interesting episode of the podcast to visit a fertility clinic to see if we could even have children, because what was the point in us making a decision if we knew that wasn't even possible? So we had the tests done. Um, Bodge got his results first and they were all great. He had sperm swimming in the right direction and there was lots of them apparently. He was puffing his over chest out. Yeah, he was over the moon. Like He's probably being a bit of a dick about it. He was like, yeah, I can't wait to tell my mates. And then and then she said to me, you have everything is good downstairs, like your womb, your ovaries, everything is perfect, but your egg reserve is extremely low for your age. In fact, it's in like the bottom 5%. So I wouldn't put having kids on the back burner for too long. And it was the thought of that decision being taken away from mm. me, whereas I, for my whole life, had been saying it's my decision whether I have them or not, and I have chosen no. Mm. It kind of like just struck a nerve and... I basically shit myself, really. Yeah. I thought, oh, what if then tomorrow I found out I couldn't have them? Would I actually want them? But it didn't scare me enough to try straight away. That's how much I was genuinely, like, on mm. the fence. Because she said, you know, what about this year? And I just said, no, I'm just, I'm still not ready and I'm going to have to take that risk. Because if I'm not ready, then I, don't, I just don't want to be pressurised to have them when I'm still not ready. Mm. And a year later, I felt like I was ready. And that's when we tried. And I said, you know, this is it now. Like, we're going to find out if we left it too late or not. And thankfully, yeah. we didn't. Yeah, thankfully. That's yeah. right. And but that's life, not the case. It's not the case for, for everyone. No, not, not at all. And life doesn't always go to plan, does it? No. And I know there were ups and downs with the pandemic and having to cancel your wedding and all of those best laid plans about ideally wanting to be married before you then had kids all had yeah. to change. Yeah. But and also but this is the thing with the pandemic as well. We I really wanted to get married and have a baby afterwards. She was the honeymoon project. That's what we were going to do on our honeymoon try for a baby. But the thought of waiting another year, that's the conversation we had to have when our wedding was cancelled in 2020. It was like, ah, my idea of having a baby after marriage means that we have to wait another year. And we were already told a year ago not to wait that long. So we made the executive decision to try now. But also it's that's that's the problem as well with with our age and having babies later on in life. We're always going to pay a price, aren't we? Because we want to have careers now and we're we're so lucky that we live in a world now where we can, you know, we don't force to have children young or mm. it's not expected that we're just going to get married and have children at 18. Yeah. It's great that we can have a career, but then we're always going to pay the price. Well, sometimes we'll pay the price if we decide to try for a baby and it's too late or mm. we'll go through fertility struggles. You know, you look now, the rise of IVF, half my friend's babies are IVF because they were having trouble uh, conceiving because of their age. Mm. Thankfully, they've all had a baby, but it's not been an easy journey for them. And that's the price we pay when we want to live a, a fulfilled life and do more than just procreate. That's true. And with all, with these kind of unwritten rules that society sort of puts on women, especially, mm. we're almost setting ourselves up to fail because if it doesn't all follow that pathway, it can be extremely difficult to cope with mentally. Yeah, massively. I've, you know, I think about the amount of people I know mm. who have gone through like terrible 
terrible journeys to get where they are today. And, and still don't know what the answer, the end result yeah. will be on those journeys as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it, it, it's really, really hard. Um, what about the situation between you and Bodge now and navigating your relationship? And obviously you were such a happy couple together, you know, able to have your freedom at your fingertips and that has all changed. What ha- sort of added pressure has that put on your relationship? I mean, we both adjusted now to life as we know it, and we are very fortunate to have a great support network in that his mum only has one grandchild, and that's Noah, and she only lives 25 minutes away. So she's always here at the drop of a hat if we need her in an emergency. I mean... We do miss the kind of like, oh, should we go and play squash tonight when you, when we didn't have a kid? We were always like, should we go and play badminton tonight? And we'd, you know, get home from work, we feed the dogs, take them out for a little walk and then go and do some kind of activity, which we can't necessarily do. And also we're too bloody tired to do it. So it's like life has changed for us and we are adjusting to our new roles as parents. And we know that we don't have as many date nights. We're fully aware of that. But we are each other's biggest champion and we both put in so much work with Noah. I am really fortunate to have a partner who Mm. loves being a dad and who wants to kind of do 50-50 parenting because... Oh, like he knew, he knew what he was signing up for when I said like, look, we're going to do this, but you've wanted this more than I have. You have to be willing to share the load with me. I can't be expected to do everything. He does all the cooking. I do all the cleaning. That's 50-50, right? But with parenting, like it does fall on the mum to do the lion's share most of the time if mm. you're in a heterosexual relationship. So yeah, it's um it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Like he felt incredibly guilty when I got postnatal depression. I was resentful towards him because I kept thinking I would never be feeling like this if I hadn't had a baby and you wanted the baby more than I did and I hated feeling like that towards him but that's just unfortunately how I felt Mm. but now we're in a position where you know he's he's back at work full time I'm working he really does help out if I have to go away with work he's there like constantly helping me out if I do have to go away and we make things work but it is a really big juggle for the pair of us trying to both work and be parents it's like, it's hard work. And I'm sure it's for everybody. Yeah. To, you know, there's just always something. There's always mm. something while you're both trying to enjoy life as well. Yeah, there is. Yeah, well, honestly, Kate, thank you so much for being so completely honest during this conversation, talking about therapy. And also there can be such a stigma around sometimes getting sort of medical help, you know, taking something to actually mm. help with feelings of anxiety. Um, yeah. Could you talk a bit more about that? Well, I just think now, more than ever, people are struggling with their anxiety. Mm. You can put it down to the way we live, how fast-paced the world is, what's in the news. It's always terribly heartbreaking. You know, us all trying to do so many things, social media, it all plays its part. But um, I think coping mechanisms for me, it's not just about medication, but my anxieties can spiral out of control for many reasons because I've got GAD, which is generalized anxiety disorder. So I'll just get anxious about the silliest of things, as well as the big things in life, like health anxiety, or like, you know, if I'm getting on a plane, I hate flying and stuff like that. But I think reducing my alcohol intake has helped massively. Um, I've taken CBD constantly for two and a half years that's helped me massively I actually came off that recently to take medication and my sleep has 
gone back like I used to be able to fall asleep so easily taking CBD mm. and I, that's why I need to speak to my doctor because yeah. I'm not sleeping great on these meds and I slept so well with CBD like I'd fall asleep and I'd stay asleep and I'm just I'm not sleeping well but I also believe that exercise is such an important part of life and I know we're all busy people and we don't necessarily have time but it just dedicating even like 15 minutes of your day to exercise whether it's bit of yoga at home or just a walk around the block with your dog or you know an hour's walk or punching a boxing bag or whatever mm. floats your boat exercise is so important I think breathing techniques are so important even if you're in bed at night and there's no reason why we can't all do that because we all get in bed at night and we all fall asleep I always do my breathing before I go to bed and it really does help me fall asleep and you know apps like calm listening to sleep stories you know, going to your GP if you're not feeling 100%. It took me so long when I first suffered from anxiety, which was many years ago, to go to my doctor and say I wasn't... It took me a year to go to my doctor and say, I just don't feel happy at the minute. And it's always that trip to the GP to say that the first time, which is the hardest. But please know that once you've had that conversation, it only gets easier. And if medication is the right thing for you, it's not the right thing for everybody, then don't feel ashamed to take tablets because it literally is like a vitamin that a lot of people I know call it a vitamin and they take every day and they know they're going to be on it for the rest of their life, but it helps them stay sane and happy. Yeah. Then so be it. There's absolutely no stigma associated it with it at all. No, and not if anybody anymore. is listening and any of that this has resonated with you, then help really is out there. Make that call to the GP, you know, tell them that you're not feeling yourself. Let them explore it with you. Because there are so many things that you could do. And if you don't feel like you can call a GP there's free mental health websites and support networks like pandas mm. for postnatal support and my black dog is a peer-to-peer -peer mental health charity my black dog are amazing it's all run by volunteers and people who have experienced mental health difficulties like in the past or now and they do so much you can literally chat to them online which is mm. so important now because people feel really it, people find it hard to pick up the phone and actually talk to somebody even over the phone let alone in person so if you can chat to somebody online and, you know, get advice from people who have been there, who have done that, then do that. It's, I just find, I find what they do incredible and they need more recognition. Mm. Well, Kate, this has been a really enlightening Depressing. conversation. <laughs> no, it hasn't. It's been utterly enlightening because I think there is sometimes, you know, a perception that people in the public eye have this perfect life and everything is, you know, as immaculate as an Instagram square. And so it's very refreshing and inspirational to hear from somebody like you that it's really not that we're all normal. We're all in this together and everybody struggles at times. Yeah. So just don't, Take, I mean, if you look at my Insta feed while I was going through postnatal depression, I on my grid, everything looks fine. And I look back and think, oh, I should have put more on the grid. But it was over on my stories that I was being totally honest mm. where I could do those things. So I kind of regret putting so much positivity on that grid. But that's what you've got to remember. They're just like snapshots of someone's life. And there's, you know, there's seven days in a week. So imagine what what the rest of that time has been like anywhere and, and that me. positivity does have a place as well because I think mm. it's good to you know grab hold of the good times and remember that things can be better and that yeah. you know you it is possible to feel sort of happy again I yeah. think that they're really valuable as well so we shouldn't underestimate the power of positivity too good I'm glad you said that yeah like end on a positive now. note yeah <laughs> end on a positive always take those smiley pictures of your baby even if you're feeling sad yeah, exactly. Remind yourself that it, things will get better and they can yeah, be better. They will do and they can do. I'm living proof. Trust you me. really are. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. Really, Thanks, Rosie. Really enjoyed our conversation today and I'm glad that we got to finally have it. 
Me too. Thanks so much for chatting. Kate's openness was absolutely inspirational during that chat. Honestly, I feel quite blown away by how much she opened up to me there. We unpacked so much big stuff that's happened through her life and I really hope that it might have struck a chord with some of you listening. Um, I think my top three takeaways though from this episode would be number one, looking out for new mums. Kate and I both explained some of the situations we found ourselves in when we felt completely lost at the overwhelming nature of becoming a new mother. So whenever somebody has had a baby, I think I'm going to pay extra special attention to checking in with them and asking how they really are. Number two, um, Kate has made so many courageous decisions in her life, leaving radio to spend more time with little Noah during these early formative years before she goes to school, I thought was really courageous and inspirational how she managed to pluck up the courage to talk to her boss and to tell him that something wasn't quite right with her. And I think it's proof that that conversation could just go very well and you have to be honourable to how you're feeling. And number three, we did touch on lots of difficult subjects during that interview and they may well have resonated with you. So please remember that support is out there. There is always someone to talk to. And even if you don't have the courage to go and book an appointment with your GP, Kate recommended My Black Dog. And I've looked them up online and the website is myblackdog.co and they are a charity offering peer-to-peer support for anybody who might be struggling with their mental health. Thanks again to Tenor for sponsoring this episode. For more information, visit tenor.co.uk or give them a follow on Instagram or Facebook. And if you are worried about any symptoms associated with incontinence, always seek medical advice from your GP. Tenor discreet pads are available in all major retailers. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends and I'd be so grateful if you could leave us a rating or a review. Don't forget to sign up to the In A Good Place newsletter for more discussion around personal development tips, the concept of resetting for success, and to share your thoughts with me. Simply visit hellomagazine.com and click on the newsletter icon at the top to register. I'll see you next time.